Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Sounds good. Hello, and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today, I'm excited to talk to Maggie Takuda-Hall, about the new installment, The Siren, The Song, and The Spy. Welcome, Maggie. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. I'm not sure I knew I liked fantasy books until I read your first book. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I just adore the characters that you have created. What Was there something particular about them that drew you to them? Is fantasy your favorite thing? Gosh, uh, I love to read fantasy. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily my most favorite genre. I think I like kind of bounce around. I tend to like things that cross genres a lot. Um, But I wrote The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea, and now The Siren, The Song, and The Spy for like a really particular reader named Claire, who was a kid who would come into the bookstore that I used to work in all the time. And eventually she and I like kind of had a rapport and her parents hired me as her creative writing tutor. And she was like a huge fantasy reader. Um, But beyond that, she was also queer before she really had language to talk about that. And so I wrote The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea to be a queer love story, like particularly for her in a fantasy novel that had all the things she always wanted, like magic and murder and rules, um, but to center like a queer romance at the heart of it. Um, So that's kind of where they came from. That is really the loveliest thing I think I might have ever heard. Oh. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, it's just, you know, I think it must be everyone's fantasy to be uh, have a book sort of written for them or created for them. But I think that is absolutely amazing. So I'm very happy for Claire because I got something out of it as well. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I had mentioned before we started recording was that I almost feel like there's a wee bit of... Um, spirituality in this book. And you gave me an explanation and I wish you would share it with us again. Sure. It was so interesting to hear that question. If I had come at this book with the kind of perspective of creating like a spiritual guide for kids, which was not my intention at all. Um, I really came at both of these books with like a very intellectual perspective. Like for me, it's about taking questions to their logical conclusions um, and trying to question, you know, kind of In the first book, what does it mean to find yourself within a world that has so many um, power structures that do not favor you necessarily, but that you may benefit from here or there all the same? Um, And the second book is so much about what it means to have been the recipient of the privilege of empire and to uh, really evaluate what that means your obligation to the world is after that. But I also understand why that question arose, because for me, taking intellectual arguments to their furthest and moral conclusions always sort of begs the question of spirituality. And so, um, but it was interesting. I'd never really thought about it exactly in those terms before. I think one of the things that, of course, most impressed me about the first book and then the second book, I felt the exact same way, is you give a voice to every person on any kind of spectrum. You know, we have the entire LGBTQ plus spectrum, but we also have straight characters and we have. Token straights. Yeah. 
<laughs> As I like to say about women's health issues, we all get here by a woman, so you've got to have at least one. <laughs> but I think that, you know, what you describe here is one of the things that so impresses me is there's a different power levels and different appreciation levels. And then, of course, to make it interesting, it's a pirate swashbuckling type of series. And then you get people who think they know one thing and then they learn something else, which sort of makes the onion layers just fall out naturally. So I just loved it. Oh, thank you. Did you have a favorite character? Oh, yeah. I always have favorite characters. People who say otherwise are liars. Um, Zenobia is my favorite character, like easily and far and away. The witch uh, for her like true chaotic neutral alignment. <laughs> um, so she's always like a delight to write. And then in the second book, Koa is my favorite character. He's really sweet. He um, is named for a former co-worker of mine who oh. is nothing like this character in a lot of fundamental ways, but who also had kind of like a core sweetness about him, just like a nice guy in the world. And I just, I really appreciate a nice guy in the world. <laughs> it is really nice. Okay. So let me say that I will be looking for my name in all of your future books. just because <laughs> I Bad news. I, you have to have worked with me. Uh, the lady air is also named for one of my former coworkers. <laughs> <laughs> who was also delighted to have a villain named for her. <laughs> um, um, Koa was, you know, you also made Koa sort of large in size, not sort yeah, of. He's he fat. Was large. Yeah, he's fat. Yeah. He's imposing. And I loved that because with that, there was no kind of judgment, none of that. It was who he was and he was yeah. loved for being just him. That's one of the things that you do with your characters, whether they're a villain or a hero is mm -hmm. you give us their description without too much judgment on them. And that's, is that difficult as an author? No, it's remarkably easy and more authors should try it. <laughs> I would say it's an ethical choice. <laughs> um, to like, people are not what they look like. Like that's not, I think the most intelligent way or profound way to characterize your people um, particularly when they reflect how people look in the real world. There is no inherent goodness or badness to being thin or to being fat or to being white or being black, or whatever it is. And when you allow your characters to lean on existing tropes like that, you're being a lazy writer. And so, um, so I'll step off my soapbox, but I think no. it's very annoying to put, to use that kind of lazy sort of, uh, like cursive writing where it's just like you get it because he's fat I, yeah, <laughs> well and i think that that's yet one of the things that i just love about the characters that you've created we have not only uh, on the sexual spectrum but in mm -hmm. the physical spectrum skin color everything mm -hmm. is represented in your books and it's represented just as it is without any judgment and that is something as a reader that really I love that. And I agree with you. I think people that rely too much on description just to suit someone else is really cheating themselves because they're not creating anything. They're just taking from what's already there. So. Yeah. Like I always think, and I feel comfortable 
naming her because she has so much power and has made it clear that she doesn't intend to use it for good. But the yes. way that J.K. Rowling writes fat people, and it's always mm -hmm. like they're slovenly and they're eating all the time. Mm -hmm. And like there's a real cruelty in the way that she depicts them um, that like makes me like it's some of to me the evidence in her craft of her being cruel. Yes. You don't necessarily know from reading her books that she's like a horrible transphobe, but you can read the way that she writes fat people and be like, hey, you're not a person who like considers other people's humanity in a, a very profound way. <laughs> I agree with you 100 percent. And what we've seen from her personal life is how really hateful she is. Yeah, she's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah she yeah. really is a nightmare for human. <laughs> and then we get a Maggie Takuda Hall who gives us the exact opposite. And I'm being right. very serious about that. <laughs> that is so appealing to me as a reader and is something to highlight because it is so easy to get lost in negativity. And I think your books bring such positivity. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. There are so many authors who are like interested in the same kind of ethical representation that I am. And I just read a really great book, um, House with Good Bones by T.K. Okay. T. Kingfisher. It's a horror novel for adults. All right. Um, but she also writes like a fat protagonist, like incredibly thoughtfully and well. Like she mentions that she's fat. It's never really like a thing. Yep. It's not anything that like determines how this character is in the world or like, but it does determine how certain characters treat her. And there's a really great plot moment where she gets to, it's meant to disempower her the way that someone talks about her and she flips it. And is it ultimately is like a moment of triumph for her um, that the, like the actual, her actual survival depends on. <laughs> that was like so satisfying where you're like, yes, correct. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> So did you have fun bringing back characters that had been in the first book? Oh, I will. Yeah. So I, not to spoil anything, but some of them come back differently. And then mm -hmm. we realize during the reading that they're somebody from the first book, but you don't always recognize it. I, I was, I adored that. Was that fun for you? Good. That was <laughs> the most uh, fun I had crap, like being like a sneaky writer was like, <laughs> Ooh, like I'm giving you the clues. I don't want you to feel like, oh, I just like didn't tell you. Um, but that was like really satisfying to me. So I'm always, when I talk to readers who finished it, I'm like, what did you think of oh. that thing? I, so did you see I it coming? <laughs> um, you know, so one character's dress, the lady's dress, the way she was dressed, I kept seeing a tall, imposing woman and I thought, wow, that seems familiar. Went right over my head, Maggie, <laughs> I, <laughs> until I saw it. And then I'm like, oh, look how sneaky Maggie is. Thank <laughs> you. That's her. all I wanted was people to read this book and go, you sneaky little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you earned it 100% because that wasn't the only one. There's more than one of those. And I'm like, yeah. oh, look at that. I, that's like the only time when I'm writing where I'm like, hee, 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 hee. <laughs> Like, I just like, I truly delight myself and have so much fun creating moments like that. They're my favorite moments as readers where you're like, oh, twist, but oh, right? the evidence was there. <laughs> I'm like, it's twisting left. Oh, no, it's twisting right. Oh, yeah. God, where am I? <laughs> so yeah, I'm you. so gratified by your experience of the book because it's very much my intention it is what brings me genuine delight while I'm making it. <laughs> um, so thank you.
Yeah, so Zenobia was my favorite character as well. A good and, choice. And in, yeah, and in <laughs> such, I, I don't know that I would have thought that if you laid out the characters with descriptions, I would have chosen Zenobia, but how she evolves in the first book and how she is still evolving in the second book was very pleasant to me. And I, mm. in the second book, I kept remembering your wonderful descriptions of how to get to where she was in the first book. And I'm like, that's something that when a description of a way to get to a character where they live, if it remains with you, I was like, wow, you do descriptions really, really well without just saying, oh, mm -hmm. it's a certain shade of green. You just give us the lush environment without hitting us over the head. Oh, I'm so glad. That's something I really work hard at. Um, I hate long descriptions. I'm here for the vibes from other <laughs> writers. Like I yeah. want, I want to know how I should feel while I go into this space and like particular details that are defining, but I don't need to know like the fam infamous example of like the angles of the stairs on the way yeah. up to Mordor is like my nightmare. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm again, really gratified by the way you, you uh, received my work. I, I just, I think that it's just like when we go to the palace, you never tell us how many steps to get to where we're going. <laughs> we simply get there and you know it's a palace by slight descriptions and we understand it. I would imagine that's hard because I know that being Southern, if you ask me to describe something, I'm probably going to describe it in, you know, 500 words and it just needed two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's always tempting, particularly in fantasy environments, to be like, why don't we just do the Pinterest page of this? <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that in the first book that carries through to the second book that is not, uh, in the second book, it's a smaller type thing, is Flora and Florian, and it's it's how people react to that character. Mm -hmm. I have to, was that hard? Because I sort of, at one point I sort of count, I hate to do that, but you know, because they're, they are referred to in both names and both mm -hmm. sexes and yeah. how it was so gratifying to read, but how hard is that as an author? Um, I think it was harder in the first book as I was kind of establishing what, uh, Flora Florian's relationship with their gender and their identity was. Um, but in the second book, when I was just like, okay, like he is Flora, she is Florian, both are true, neither are complete. It made it really easy to make it kind of situational. And so I really tried to put myself in their shoes and figure out like in those moments, how would they feel about themselves? And that was the way that I talked about it. It's a more complicated way to regard character in some regards, but it's the same exercise you do for all characters where it's like, well, how would they react? How do they think of themselves in this moment? So much of writing any, like a big cast of characters is like having to play method actor for your entire cast. <laughs> and so <laughs> um, it was much harder in the first book as I was kind of creating and figuring out how I wanted to talk about a much more complex relationship with gender fluidity than I had personally read in that age group. Um, mm -hmm. And that reflected like kind of how I felt about my own gender throughout my life, which is that it varies wildly and situationally. And so um, 
So it was hard, but not, I think, as hard as people who would reject gender fluidity would act like it is. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you're still just doing the empathetic work of understanding another person. As a reader, I found it to be very, very direct. I was exactly sure of where you were going with it. Uh, I it it takes it takes a bit of work, but I think there again, just as some of the other characters in your books, you've created a world in which we can all exist and we can all thrive one way or another. Because thriving in your books means different things. Yeah, it comes people. hard to my characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't. Nobody gets a chance to just lay on the beach and enjoy, you know, a mai tai. No. They have to work for that mai tai. Mm, they really have to <laughs> suffer if they're going to be in one of my stories. <laughs> well, and I hate to say I've enjoyed their suffering, so it was all right. So it's for you to enjoy. <laughs> for them to suffer. Yes. You know, if they suffer, maybe I don't in my life. Who knows? Who knows? So tell us what a familial is and tell us about the ones you've created in this book, because I loved that. I thought it was something, it was something new for this book and something fun. So familiar is uh, in like the European sense or like animals that witches would have. But I like... Whichever way, because I don't know how you would, how so, do you associate them? In I'll just, I kind of made up my own familiars because okay. I wanted to have animals who an entire society have kind of like an intimate and entwined relationship with and that they kind of like one-to-one couple off with as like, okay, here you go. You two are like partners for life. And so that was what familiars meant was like interfacing with another social animal in a way that is like permanent. And so the Wariuda people who are um, like the native people to the Red Shore, which is where kind of like the eye of conquest is starting to look and where Genevieve washes ashore on the, on the first page, it's where they were headed in the first place, um, is populated by the Wariuda. And they, their warrior class of people have spotted hyena familiars. Because I like spotted hyenas. And a fact about when you write books is you get to do whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Um, But I love hyenas specifically because for a long time they were misidentified as hermaphrodites because the females have penises. Okay. um, Which is not true. They just have penises through which they both uh, like have penetrative sex and give birth. Um, They're also a matrilineal society, just like the Wariuda, where power passes along the mother's line, but not necessarily only to girls. Um, males can also receive and, and like be powerful. It's just typically the, the females. Um, and they're also sexually dimorphic. The females are larger than the males. And so they've been called by more contemporary people, the queers of the animal kingdom, because there's so much about them that kind of like blows up our concept of binary gender and like the female frailty myth. Like there's so many things that are enticing to me about hyenas. And I loved them as just part of this world where none of that's explained. But if you ever are curious about hyenas and you realize that's who the Wariuda have interfaced with, there's like a real kinship in the way that their society functions in some ways. Um, It's just very like fun for me, a person who is a biology nerd. And dilettante. (laughs) I love it. And I will say that there was a scene early on with Tupac that I just squealed with laughter because, you know, Tupac 
is he's sort of a lot like Koa. He's he's not quite the biggest fighter. So I was like, oh no, my. they both have big Ferdinand the Bull energy. Where you're like, <laughs> 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 you know, but I mean, they were so cute though. But I was yeah. just like, oh my god, I'm like Maggie, you're killing me. So I'm not <laughs> going to say what it was because you know what it was. The reader has to find out what it is. It's just the cutest. I'm like, oh my stars, out of the blue. <laughs> Oh, I love, I love also one other thing is the fact that you give what I would call the children of the book, since I'm quite a bit yeah. older than most of the characters, um, you give them a strength um, and you give them support. And that's a lovely thing. I mean, Kaya and Koa are brother and sister and they are so very different, yet they love each other enough that they're always supported one way or another. And I, I thought that was a wonderful thing. Yeah. Do you, have, do you have siblings? I do. I have an older sister. We're not quite so different like Kaya and Koa okay. are, where they're like clearly opposites. And in some ways being opposites makes it easier for them to get along. Cause it's like, ah, well, <laughs> so different than me. My sister and I are much more alike. <laughs> no? All right. Well, I will ask you if there'll be a third book, because if there will, I'm already ready for it because I've finished <laughs> this one. You know, that's a yeah. little sadness about finishing a book that you like a lot. It's like, darn it, I want one more chapter. So yeah. will I get another chapter maybe? You know, I didn't know if I was going to get this sequel, but I always had it planned in my mind. The story was always continuing for me. In this case, I feel really good about where it's ended. Like I feel there's an epilogue that takes place 15 years after all the action of this story. I think if I wrote a third book, um, it would be in a while. Like I don't have, and I would want something that felt undeniable. Like I knew I wanted to take this battle to this, like to the empire's shore. Like I knew that that was coming and like, that's what's going to happen in this book. Yeah. I don't think that's like a shock or a spoiler. Um, and so I've like kicked around ideas where I'm like, oh, it'd be really interesting to like follow some of these characters, particularly these young girls that are displaced and taken elsewhere at the mm -hmm. end of this story. Um, but I don't really know what it would be. So it's like a never say never. But like also I'm really relieved that I'm not writing a high fantasy novel right now because it's really hard. <laughs> So, <laughs> right. well, in between one and two, I assume you weren't finished with two. You had a child of your own, a second child, right? Were yes. you finished with this book or were you still working on it? I got the green light to write it when he was three months old. So I, um, I wrote it from the time he was about three months till he was nine months old. And that was pre-child care days so this was a nap time novel <laughs> bless you oh my goodness you know i my hat's off to anyone that can do that so i don't think i could do it again i'll be honest that was the one now i have child care i've learned <laughs> so are you working on anything particular now yeah, I'm working on um, a graphic novel script that I don't know if I'm like allowed to talk about yet, but it's due in November. Right. Um, and then next year, I have another teen graphic novel called The Worst Ronin coming out. That's a um, som lady samurai buddy comedy. Okay. Uh, so if you like, I, after writing these very, very serious novels that like take a lot out of me emotionally, um, it was really fun. It's still like emotionally rough 
this one because I'm apparently incapable of writing things that are kind of emotionally <laughs> rough. Uh, but it's not quite as like global in its roughness. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it has a lot more fart jokes. So oh. you know. I'm in on it. Hurry up. <laughs> Next year, hurry up. <laughs> Maggie, do you have uh, a website or social media you would like to share? Yeah, you can always see um, what books I've got coming up and stuff on prettyokmaggie.com. There's also a contact form there that I'm always really like happy to hear from people through. Um, I am on Twitter, E-M-T-E-E-H-A-L-L. Um, but I am not there as much. So you have to give me clemency if it takes me like five days to see <laughs> something that you tweeted at me, because that's about the regularity with which I check it. Um, and I'm also on Blue Sky and TikTok at, at Maggie Takuda Hall. Perfect. Perfect. Once again, the book is The Siren, The Song and The Spy. Maggie, thank you so much for joining me. I had a great time. Thank you. And likewise. Thank you. Hang on for me just a second. Okay. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan.